You're going to have to queue up at the bar afterwards to buy me a drink, I think. <laughs> cool. Uh, those of you who've had me twice already, I feel sorry for you, let me say that straight away. Uh, surviving this same old voice. Uh, the subject that uh, I'm going to talk about now is, is there any future for Alan's marriage? <laughs> it was as rude as this the last time. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's with me this time. <laughs> well, she wants to know. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the, this is a fair question, isn't it? In a, a society where one in three marriages breaks up and... Uh, where 35%, I think it was, of marriages in 1980 ended in divorce. Now, that means some people have remarried and divorced and remarried and divorced, where it works. Where large numbers of people um, just shack up together for the duration, as long as it lasts. Where um, you obviously don't need to be married to have sex these days, which would be very different to many cultures in the world today, where... Um, you're likely to get um, duffed up, to say the least of it, if you decide that you're going to have sex outside of marriage. But in the Western world, for the reasons we gave this morning, we have evolved a society where, where, where sex is something that's really a sport now. Um, if it's your thing, then you can do it with whoever wants to partner you uh, as many times as you like. Uh, honestly, that's how our society today views it. So um, it's a, a fair question, is there any future... For marriage. And uh, I just want to take us back, first of all, to the secular base for marriage, because there are two philosophers that are at work on this issue. Um, and this is the, sec the secular thought today really is dominated by this, this evolution thing and with its behaviorism. In other words, we are just stimulus response mechanisms and so forth. And it's all to do with the survival of the species. Now, you will have to imagine an ape man, all right? It's not too difficult, is it? There's one or two samples here that would give you something to work on. And <laughs> imagine an ape man. Is it, why are they always drawn as hairy things with um, sort of flattened foreheads and all the rest of it? There's no evidence that they were hairy creatures at all. And after all, you know, you, you know differently, don't you? You know that Adam and Eve were both blonde and uh, fair-skinned and had blue eyes. I mean, all the books draw them like that, don't they? <laughs> they must have been. And Eve always has hair at least this long. <laughs> so that's the way it was. But you, you must imagine something else now, which is your hairy ape man. And uh, an early stage in human development... Uh, now it's evident in the process of evolution that uh, the mother bears the children, mother also provides the milk, and cow and gate hadn't been invented in those days. Uh, so mothers had to look after children because dads were like a pub with no beer when they tried, and uh, it didn't work. So, naturally enough, mothers became the homemakers, and they did the small holding farming outside of the cave, or wherever, Okay. Dad felt redundant, didn't know what to do with himself, so he went hunting. After all, if you're just hanging about all day and mum's looking after the kids, then you've got to do something. So he decided, oh, I'm going hunting, woman. 
Because he went hunting, he obviously got physically much fitter, because if you go trying to chase elephants or whatever, you tend to get a bit fit. And uh, uh, as he was, as he was uh, be- beginning to get stronger and go hunting, he became less interested in the home. And then he began to bump into other guys who also felt redundant and uh, were becoming quite fit chasing elephants. Uh, and the like. So they decided, oh, hey, this is quite good fun, really. And we're beginning to, they began to become friends. So you've got a companionship growing up in their strength. Well, as that strength developed, they, they realised that hunting was fun. In fact, the more hunting you did, the better. So they wanted to extend their territory. Well, the trouble is, there were other little groups of mates also hunting elephants and things. And so they developed warfare. They became warriors. We need to get more territory. They also discovered that it's fun getting women pregnant. So they thought, well, the more women we can get, um, the bigger will be our tribe, the better the chances of our survival. So we will fight not only to get hunting territory, but also to capture some women and uh, have fun. Uh, so we get more babies. What this meant was that women became dependent upon men for meat because the men were doing all that now, and obviously very good at it. And men needed women for kids. So, you had the beginnings of some primitive society forming, and, and the role models were beginning to develop under this theory. Now, they also discovered that actually women are frightfully expensive creatures, even when you've only got to find animal skins for them. So... Uh, the economics worked out it's probably better if one man has one woman. And so monogamy comes about out of economic necessity. Well, now, we, because of this, we have got to, we've got to protect this arrangement because obviously this arrangement works for survival. After all, if men don't want women, we get no kids and women aren't any more equipped to go out hunting. Uh, in any case, they've been kept poor, um, ill-fed and pregnant, so they're not really in much of a condition to go out hunting. So, great, we've got to protect this kind of society. So needless to say, the men, who were getting the best of the deal, um, invented the idea of marriage. And in order to preserve that and to make sure we didn't just jump into bed with anyone we wanted to, we surrounded it with various taboos, superstitions, fears that if you broke the rules, then something nasty would happen to you. And as that got more and more sophisticated, we invented Christian values that said there's a nasty God up there. A nasty God says, if thou goes and sleepest with thy neighbour's wife, thou wilt go to hell. Now, there's not really a nasty God. There's no such place as hell. It is really just so that we keep this neat economic arrangement for the survival of the species. Uh, and so it will go on. Well, that's, that's the theory that is, in rather light-hearted terms, believed today throughout the Western world. It's a standard sociological and behaviourist framework for marriage. In the Western world, of course, we no longer have to worry about survival. That's not a problem for us. We have so evolved in society, so developed things, that... that Worrying about society, is, there's a seat there. Yeah. I, I don't want you kneeling while I'm... <laughs> <laughs> it's nice, but... 
<laughs> okay. Modern work doesn't need much strength, by and large. You know? We've removed ourselves from the land, and we've got machines that do most of the jobs that previously were jolly hard work. And women don't need men. I mean, you don't have to have men to get meat now. You just go down to Sainsbury's. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there it is. So there isn't the, the economic necessity isn't there as it was in a more primitive society, and as it still is in many parts of the world. Uh, we've also got enough children in the world. So two and one-seventh each is adequate. We don't have to keep producing children. Um, we've made a, another phenomenal discovery. It's an awesome one, this, brothers. Women are capable of thinking. <laughs> in fact, women can, on rare occasions, be cleverer than men. <laughs> that has really messed things up. <laughs> you see, someone made the fatal mistake of starting to educate women. And uh, the result was, lo and behold, they can do jobs that men used to do. They can go into all the male domains nowadays, and they're just as good at it. In fact, they're jolly sight better at a lot of the things. And that's put the cat among the pigeons, hasn't it? So, we, we've got enough children. We've got birth control now to make sure we don't have more. We've got women who can be independent. We don't need marriage any longer. It's not a necessity in a society that's got a social services system that will provide, not very well, but it will provide for people who want children outside of wedlock or who get them anyway. Um, we don't need the Christian values. Today, we can just enjoy sex as a sport, as a pleasure, as a fun thing to do on a Saturday night. It's fine, you see. Because we don't have any of the consequences. There isn't the economic demand for it. Uh, there are plenty of single parents today to prove that you can raise children with a bit of help from the state perfectly well without marriage. Well, at least so they say. And so, therefore, if you just want casual relationships or if you want to... Um, set up home with somebody for as long as the relationship lasts, well, that's all very fine. Homosexual options become very valid. After all, as the argument goes, the reason society frowned on homosexuality is that you couldn't produce children. And you needed children because you've got to farm the land. You especially needed sons, so that you could keep the society going. But, of course, now that needs removed, homosexuality becomes perfectly valid. And they usually tell you that in some animals, in some circumstances, they behave in a homosexual manner. Therefore, as we're animals, it must be perfectly all right. So this is all seriously taught today. Um, of course, if you want a temporary marriage for economic reasons, fine. If you want to have marriage just to raise some children, fine. And then you can go on to somebody else when you get bored. And we are a society that believes in consecutive uh, marriage these days. You, you can't have two at once you're not supposed to, but you can have one after the other as many as you like. That's the kind of society that is produced on this secular philosophy of marriage, which I call animalism. Okay? Now, is there any future for marriage? Well, on that basis, not much. 
we should be able to work things so that we can do without marriage altogether. And then none of us will, will feel tired. Uh, we'll solve all sexually transmitted diseases. The state will look after our children. In fact, we'll conceive them in test tubes. Um, we, we'll even make it possible for lesbians and homosexual couples to have children, which we, they've already done with chimpanzees, I should say, which is awful. Okay? They have implanted... Um, fertilised embryos of chimpanzees into male chimpanzees' stomachs. Lo and behold, by caesarean section, they can give birth to a baby chimpanzee. The idea is that could be done with humans as well. See? So we could evolve that kind of horrific society under that basis. And why not? There's no God. We're only animals. We're in control of our own evolution today. Let's take it where we want. Then there is the biblical base for marriage, the alternative. You probably know the words in Genesis 2 quite well, but I'd like you to turn to them. Verse 18. Now you've got to imagine somebody else, you see. You've got to imagine Adam. Blonde, blue-eyed, white-skinned, standing behind a bush. <laughs> Always standing behind a bush. <laughs> okay. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But Adam found no suitable helper for him. I'm not surprised. <laughs> you imagine trying to strike up a meaningful relationship with a rhinoceros? <laughs> okay. Uh, how about courting a crocodile? <laughs> If you want a tall story, try kissing a giraffe. <laughs> All right, I'll stop. <laughs> okay. So, I, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought it to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, I want you to notice something out of this. That marriage was invented by God, not for procreation, not for children, but to meet an inner need inside this man. You see, Father, Son and Holy Spirit had spent the whole of eternity in a fellowship of love. God has never been lonely, ever. Because Father, Son and Holy Spirit talk to each other all the time. So loneliness is something quite unknown to God in his character. And then God made man. And he looked at Adam standing there. And God thought, boy... Hey, we've made him in our image, but there's something not right. What's not right? There's only one of him. 
It's not good for man to be alone. What should we do about it? We'll make a helper suited to him. We'll make somebody that so goes with him that they will be in a fellowship just like we're in fellowship. Get it? God saw something, some deep need. And what that means is that marriage, from our Christian perspective, is to do first and foremost with personal relationship, not with survival of the human race. It is to do with meeting our need for companionship. It's to deal with the issue of our loneliness and our vulnerability. That makes it very different from this other view that we've been speaking about. It's starting from the heart of God, perceiving a need in the heart of man. And because of that, marriage becomes a prophetic mystery. In in Ephesians chapter 5, a chapter I won't read now because you know it well, about how a husband is to lay down his life for his wife and the wife is to submit to her husband and honour him. Uh, That passage comes to the conclusion that this is a mystery which has to do with the love of Christ for his church and the church for Christ and their relationship together. So marriage is now taking on a great theological weight. Marriage begins with meeting that need that God saw. It then becomes a demonstration of the greatest love story in all of history, which is the love of Jesus for his church. It becomes God's visual aid on on earth to demonstrate something absolutely tremendous, something eternal. Now, I'm not just speaking about Christian marriage here. All marriage, all marriage demonstrates this prophetic mystery. And God says, you're not going to understand it all. Uh, this is something that, that, re- that is spiritual, that reveals a truth that you would not other un- otherwise understand. And you see that. You know, we, we talk about the Bride of Christ, don't we? Well, the Bible talks about the Bride of Christ. And we say there's a day coming when the Bride of Christ is going to meet the Bride. How on earth do we understand that truth of the meeting of God's people with their Lord unless we've, we first of all understand that people get married on earth? Mm-hmm. You see? If we didn't have a concept of marriage on earth, we could not understand the spiritual truth of the Bride of Christ and we would not understand what it meant for God's people to be united with Jesus in eternity, in a new heaven and a new earth. So it's a mystery that speaks of something greater. And, you see, having children is the fruit of that relationship. It's not the cause of the relationship. And Christians have sometimes got this wrong, you see. They've got it wrong when they say sex is only for having children. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says the reason why a man will be joined to his wife and become one flesh is because there was, there was not a helper fit for him and God made a helper and it's not so much a union as a reunion. It is the joining together. It is the coming together. It's the making whole of something. And the fruit comes. Children are born as a result. Now, because the Bible teaches such a high view of marriage... It's understandable that God says that needs looking after because Father, Son and Holy Spirit are in their relationship with a covenant. They are eternally committed to one another. And therefore God says, if you're made in my image and this relationship is going to speak of something about myself 
And if this relationship is going to speak about the covenant between Jesus and his church, then there should be a marriage covenant on earth. And that's the reason for it. It is not that we invented some taboos to preserve the human race. It is that covenant comes from the heart of God. And therefore, it is worthy in our marriages. And therefore, divorce, whether it be because there's adultery or whether it be for lesser reasons, is always something tragic. Now, sometimes divorce is necessary. Uh, it, it, It is the decent burial for something that has died. Otherwise, you just have a corpse, as it were, lying around, and nobody wants that. Sometimes it's necessary, but it's always tragic. Always filled with some sadness. And that's why God hates it. He hates divorce. He hates the hardness of heart behind it. He hates the sin in people that are immoral. He hates to see marriages break up, though he permits it in mercy so that there's a proper funeral for it. But it's always tragic. So God has given us uh, a base for marriage which is very different from the world. And what we find in our society today, we've got these two philosophies in opposition to each other. We have this secular one, this animal one, and we have our one, which is a Christian base that's, that's born out of the heart of God, that's all to do with love and relationship. Now, what's the challenge to us today? There are many people today who have blindly accepted a Christian ethic of marriage without knowing why. They have not got Christian faith. That may be true of most of our parents. Certainly true of my parents. They did what was the will of God without knowing why it was the will of God. And at that time they did not embrace the Christian faith. Praise God they do now. But they didn't. Now, are they right or are they wrong? I say they're right. They are right because this gift of marriage was given in creation, not simply to God's chosen people, it was given to the whole human race. Marriage was there before you had the tribe of Israel, before you had the chosen race. It's for everybody. And it doesn't matter whether the ceremony is a Hindu one, a Muslim one, a Christian one, uh, going to the witch doctor and saying, it doesn't make any difference. (laughs) If it's understood to be a covenant by that society... If it is a commitment to two people, of two people to each other, then God honours that. And so even if people haven't got a scrap of Christian faith understanding, but nonetheless follow a Christian ethic in this, God will honour them, and God will bless them. But what we've got now is a society that's gone increasingly for the animal view, and the challenge to us today is whether we're going to accept the animal philosophy or the creation philosophy. Now, I do understand those people who have looked at marriage and said, to be honest, it's only a scrap of paper. We don't want that. I understand those people who say, what's the point of getting married? Because all the marriages we know break up. I know what they feel. But they are committed to some heroic honesty. You know, we're not going to be hypocrites. So we're just going to be real about it. Well, they've got their own forms of hypocrisy. But our way is a way of self-sacrificing love. It is not equating love with sex. It's not some so-called heroic honesty to be real. Ours is a self-sacrificing and God-glorifying love. And uh, what that means is that for us Christians, marriage and sexual union becomes worship. 
instead of it being something which is for the survival of the human race, or we're just giving vent to our desires. Uh, I mean, I, I could not believe watching one of the programmes on age. You know, they've got the experts on, which is always a sign of impending doom. <laughs> and uh, they had an expert psychiatrist on, you see, you know. And he says, of course, the reason why um, we have all this problem is, is men produce this hormone called um, testosterone. And uh, that's, that's what's causing it all. You know, we have to understand this. I thought, oh, for crying out loud, you know. Um, is this all it's about? Is that this animal philosophy coming out yet again? We produce hormones that makes us want to have sex. Um, well, we all better use condoms because the only way to, to control the results of this thing, isn't it, as far as disease and babies are concerned. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible tells us that uh, we are motivated by a love that lays down our lives for one another. And sexual union, instead of being simply a, an I-can't-help-it-it's-my-hormones thing... <laughs> um, I try that on my wife occasionally. <laughs> so she says, the bromide's in the cupboard. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> instead of that it is, a, it, it is a wor- an act of worship for Christians you see it is an expression of God's glorious purpose and when a husband and wife come together in true love like that in covenant and they make love together then they are expressing something beautiful about God about Jesus and the church, they're, they're doing something that is a cause of thanksgiving. And that's a wonderful thing. It's perfectly appropriate to say grace. You see? What we're about to receive. <laughs> May the Lord make us truly grateful. <laughs> but isn't that right? You see? Why do we only give thanks for meals? We're to give thanks for all things, the Bible says. In everything, give thanks. And we've got to recapture that idea. See, see the world thinks this. You Christians are saying that. We thought you were against sex. Oh, no, we say grace beforehand. Well, you might not, but uh, I'll get round to that. But uh, um, it's to be an act of thanksgiving. A marriage is something for which to give thanks to God. Now, is there any future for marriage? Well, I wouldn't mind a future for that kind of marriage, you see. In a way, I'm glad that we are not compelled by biological necessity or by survival of the race to get married. I'm glad we have choice today because we, we have to choose freely whether we are going to go for the animal approach or whether we're going to go for the creation approach whether we will behave like the society around us or whether we will behave according to God's will. And it takes conviction to get married today. It takes a change of philosophy, a change of heart to say, yeah, I I know the other way, I've seen the fruit of the other way, maybe I've been part of the other way, but now I am choosing to go God's way. What I believe we need in our society is role models as this animal view begins to fail. Because 
I tell you, a lot of folk, folk going through a rethink at the moment. They're saying, what are we going to do? We can no longer afford just to indulge ourselves sexually. Although it's not being said, everybody knows that the Christian way works as far as disease is concerned. It, it solves the problem. Do you realise that it's perfectly possible to make all the sexually transmitted diseases redundant in our society? It's very easy. People just remain virgins until they get married, and then when they do get married, they stick with their partner. We'll, that will completely obliterate syphilis, gonorrhea, genital warts, herpes, most of cervical cancer, AIDS. There just cease to be diseases in our world. Isn't that incredible? It's so easy. We could do that within 20 years. We could virtually make those re diseases redundant if we wanted to. And our society is having to think about that. We could make broken homes a thing that were unknown. Just by adopting Christian ethic on marriage. We could solve the health service crisis because it's costing millions of pounds to deal with the fruits of immorality. We will solve the problems of social services. It costs... Millions of pounds to deal with the consequences of broken homes. This nation could be wealthy beyond its dreams. We could give those resources to solving all the other real problems simply by people accepting God's ways. And there was a time in our society when most people did accept God's ways and we didn't have a fraction of the problems that we've got today. And that has been true for many, many centuries in the last 25 years, we have decided that we would reject that. I believe the challenge today is to say, let's go back to God's ways. But to do that, it's not enough just to teach. We have got to produce the role models. People must be able to see what Christian marriage is about. One of the things we were very encouraged and challenged by and quite humbled by was when people used to come, friends of our kids, non-Christian friends, would come to our home and say, aren't you lucky to have parents like that? Now, my kids didn't always think so, but uh, um, they said, aren't you lucky to have parents like that? You're so, you all get on so well together, and there's so much love around. Now, we don't think we're lucky, we just think that's what God's done. Uh, and we say, praise the Lord, that it shows. But what it does is demonstrates to those non-Christians, most of whom come from broken homes, it demonstrates to them that there's another way of life. It demonstrates that there's a way of hope a way that's got the answers for the future. And so marriage becomes in our society a prophetic voice, becomes something that speaks in the midst of the confusion. And for that reason, it is not surprising that marriage is an issue of spiritual warfare. The devil hates it. The devil, at the very beginning, broke the relationship between Adam and Eve so that it became strained and therefore laid the foundation for all marriage break-up. He laid the foundation for the battle of the sexes, the lot. And from then on, he has attacked and attacked and attacked because God knows that when marriage succeeds, then his kingdom flourishes. And the devil knows that too. The devil has a vested interest in stopping it because, you see, if two people marry... And they make a Christian marriage, they produce lots of little Christians, and those little Christians grow up, and they marry, and they produce lots more little Christians. Not the only way you get Christians, but uh, produces lots of them. It's a fun way of getting Christians. And uh, 
The result is, before you know it, the church is taking over the world, and that means that the devil's hour of destruction is getting nearer and nearer, because there's suddenly come a time when God says, enough, it ends the world and the devil is doomed. So he will attack Christian marriage, and that is why in the last 25 years, the main attack on Christians and Christian values has not been in the realm of Christian economics, or Christian social welfare, or Christian education, the main attack has been on Christian marriage. It's not surprising, is it? I mean, the devil, never very original. Um, He knows that that's the key. And therefore, we have to treat it as an issue of spiritual warfare. Whether we ourselves are married or not isn't the issue. If you're single, and a good number of you are here, then you have a responsibility to pray for the success of Christian marriage because that has so much to do with the success of the kingdom of God. And it is part of our spiritual warfare. We need to pray for the protection of the marriages we've got. We need to pray for glorious role models to come forth that speak to our society. We've got to go visible on this. And instead of um, giving the view that Christian marriages are a rather staid affair, let's show the delights of it. Let's show the joys. Let's show the passion of it. And so there's a challenge for every one of us to embrace the will of God today, whether we will, in the end, fall for the animalistic view, or whether we will go for some not very good so-called Christian marriage, or whether we'll go for the full prophetic thing that God has on the horizon for us. Uh, That horizon may be near or far, but we need to go for it. Is there any future for marriage? Well... I'm spiritually optimistic. I believe yes. And I believe what God is doing today is beginning to raise up more and more. It's it, uh, Christian marriages of real stature. That was where the charismatic movement first began to bite. God began to talk into family life. And that's why we still have a, a good emphasis on it. Because it's such an important issue. Is there any future for your marriage? Those of you who are married... Oh yeah, embrace the full will of God on it. See it for what it is. And make sure that your marriage is according to the will of God. Make sure that you work at it and build on it in godly ways. Take the word of God seriously. And if you're not married, well ensure that you pray for the right partner. And you're going to do it right. Keep yourself pure if you're single. Don't go and mess your testimony up. It grieves me when I find Christians in good churches who, I don't know, in a moment of folly seem to get desperate somehow and they make some silly mistake, they go where they shouldn't have gone and they find they fall into sexual sin. And they lumber around the guilt of that for years. That's tragic. Don't do that. Make sure that you keep yourself pure. Chastity is a virtue. And God will be pleased with that. And when he's got the right person for you, then you'll have a super marriage if you do it according to God's will. So I I, I feel the challenge for us today is that in the midst of a society that's lost its way, that's very confused, that's beginning to ask serious questions, we say, yeah, there's an answer. Come and see what we've produced. Come and look at it. Examine our marriages. Examine what God has done. And for those of us who are single, we say, look, 
We are not ashamed to be virgins. We're not ashamed to say that we're living pure lives now. Some of us were very sinful, but we stopped that. And we're not unfulfilled, frustrated people, at least I hope you're not. But we are serving the Lord with all our hearts. We're building the kingdom of God. And when God's got marriage partners ready for us, then we will carry on building the kingdom with somebody else. And, uh, but we're going to go God's ways. And if you go God's ways, whether you repent of your sins or not, God is still going to honour you. We'd like you to repent of your sins as well, of course. I think we could change society. I think in the next 20 years or so, we really could make a dramatic impact that would alter the course of history. Because every sociologist will tell you that uh, marriage is one of the five foundation blocks of any society. And if that one crumbles, then society is in great danger. It's a very key issue for us. We need to get hold of it. We need to pray and believe God that he's not going to take us back merely to the old thing, but he's going to thrust us through into the fullness of his word. Now, I think it'd be good that we just took some time to have some questions. I'm aware it's getting near the end of the day, so um, let, let us keep it light. But let's have some questions and uh, on, on anything that we've been talking about today.